A Tiny Revolution is supported by Shop Progress. Designed with queer people in mind, Shop Progress creates innovative, fresh fashion that intentionally seeks to encompass the vast array of identities within the LGBTQ plus community so that you can wear your story on your sleeves. Shop today at shopprogress.org and use offer code REV10, that's R-E-V-1-0, to get 10% off your first purchase. Shop Progress, wear your story on your sleeves. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is a tiny revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while having the conversations and telling the stories that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. So, welcome friends. This is the very first episode of A Tiny Revolution, and I am freaking stoked about it, to say the very least. Uh, I don't know, I just I don't really know what to say. It, it feels kind of overwhelming, but at the same time, it's, it's exciting because it's new and fresh, so... Welcome to the birth of something possibly really neat. I have, I have a good feeling about it. So before I jump into this, I wanted to tell you the heart behind it. A Tiny Revolution was literally a divine partnership. I was thinking about ways that I could expand my creativity beyond just my blog, um, which is at thekevingarcia.com, if you haven't already been there. Um, you know, I wanted to expand my creativity beyond my story. I wanted to tell the story of other people, people that I liked. Um, I wanted to talk to interesting people who were doing good work in the world because I feel like, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the world is kind of in a dark place right now. And it's all in our face all the time. Darkness dominates our newsfeed. And something Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber said in a sermon of hers hit me really hard. It was Something along the lines of uh, evil might have the news cycle, but it doesn't have the victory. And my answer to that was, hell yeah, I can get behind that. So a couple weeks ago, I came home from the Wild Goose Festival, and God just dropped this idea in my head that every single day we're fighting these tiny revolutions, these small battles, and sometimes we lose, but if we can be real with ourselves and really open up our eyes... We're winning. Good is winning over evil. Love is conquering hate. Light is driving out the darkness. And that is, that's what a tiny revolution is. It's, it's This little podcast is my way of kind of pushing back against the despair. It's, it's birthed with the idea that celebrating our everyday victories, no matter how small they are, you know, celebrating success when and how it happens, celebrating progress when and how it happens is important. This is my way of celebrating, of celebrating life, of celebrating you, of celebrating good stories and good people. So welcome to A Tiny Revolution. This season, uh, we've already got some really amazing guests lined up, including uh, who you'll hear today, Science Mike, um, the author of Jesus Feminist, Sarah Bessie, Jamie, the very worst missionary, Wright, um, Black Lives Matter, Dorena Kesson, trans activist and model Aiden Dowling, and so many more interesting humans. Each week I'm going to bring you a conversation from me and my friends about current events and our take on them, and I can always promise you real takes on life, and I'm not going to shy away from the crap or the, or the shitty things that are happening, but I'll always seek to find the joy in light and things, I can promise you that. And each week I'll bring you an interview, and if I'm honest, these are going to be less like interviews and more like just interesting conversations between me and 
some world changers and shit starters and authors and advocates and whoever else is doing good in the world. So if you have a suggestion, you can tweet it at me. I'm excited and I'm stoked that I get to share this new level of creativity with you. So let's jump into it. This week, my friends Darren and Dinesh and I were sitting around talking about what happened at the Republican National Convention, and also we started discussing the first night at the Democratic National Convention. So, here's our take. Hope you enjoy it. Alright, so, um, we have in the room today, y'all can just introduce yourself so people know who they are talking to. I am Darren. Darren is here, my friends. Darren is here. <laughs> hey, my name is Nash. And we're just going to talk about things that are happening in our world. Um, namely, uh, the Republican National Convention just happened, and what a hot mess it was. <laughs> I mean, like, and I don't mean to hate on, like, my conservative brothers, sisters, and siblings out there, but... <laughs> yeah? Is that how you feel? Yeah, I, like... And that's what makes me really sad is because I'm not one to, like, try to draw battle lines or things. Like, I'm always trying to be a beard bridge builder, not a beard builder. I am trying to be a beard builder. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that I want my beard to be more full sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But... You're doing good right now. Thank you. Yeah. I think the thing... My biggest takeaway from the big thing... Not... I mean, like, obviously, like, Trump has pulled... Like, built his whole movement on, like fear and like the underlying racism that I feel like he's given people permission to start expressing more openly. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of people who are just like subtly racist here and there and they wouldn't outright say all the thoughts in their head but now it's just like it's almost like no holds bar. I, I see fear as a huge motivator for racism so I, I, I kind of move through that racism and realize that I think there's an entire party platform that's built on fear of something different, fear of other, fear of change, whatever it would be. Um, and unfortunately, on, on the other side, I actually think a lot of how the other side, the, D, uh, the Democrats, are actually starting to campaign on fear of Trump, which is mm. also an interesting fear yeah. of others. So what, what kind of disturbs me is that we, ha- we had a party that kind of built itself on fear. We have a, a platform, and now the only way to combat that is with more fear. Yeah. And is what it seems like is kind of the give and take these days. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not comfortable with realizing that how much of our country is operating on fear right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't feel healthy, and especially, in, and I think the way that it's being expressed in kind of a lot of the Republican Party platform is pretty, um, I don't know, it's, it was pretty deep and it's pretty bad. <laughs> Let's be real. It's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Um, so, and I think it, that... I don't know. I think racism is a part of the conversation. Did you guys watch um, any part of, like, the first part of the DNC? From from last night, at least? I missed it. Did you see Michelle Obama's speech, though? I caught a little bit of hers. Um, Mostly what I caught was uh, stuff going back and forth with Hillary supporters and Bernie Sanders supporters and how the kind of split there and the lack of control there and how it's affecting... Mm -hmm. um, the whole Democratic Party, and uh, that's kind of frightening with mm-hmm. that split happening um, and being out of control, the effects of that, and uh, if that's going to kind of help Donald Trump solidify his spot in the presidency. I, like, I have a friend of mine who's like, been really like challenging me like how I think about like, party politics, is that like I've been looking at like Jill Stein's platform, she's running for the Green Party, 
mm-hmm. and I'm like, or there is like two independent governors who are also running on an independent ticket, mm-hmm. and I look at them and I'm just like, I like these people better. Mm-hmm. However, I know that between now and November, like, and like, and this is also probably me being the 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 realist or possibly pessimist that I am. Which is not typical for me, but I guess like, when it comes to politics, I try to figure out, it's like, you know, what's idealism and what is doable? And as much as I want, like, a Jill Stein mm-hmm. or a, a, some third-party candidate to come in and really shake things up and show that our country can be more than just a binary system of two parties, I, I don't really have hope that it can be done in this moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are still too... Sp- Polarized and too split off into two separate directions for anyone to really affect. And maybe that's like a lack of hope on my part and the potential of people. And I'm a seven. I hope I have hope in everybody. I think a little bit of everyone is experiencing that lack of hope, though, just kind of with um, maybe just being tired or you know growing cynical with the situation that we've been seeing. Um, but I, I want to ask you to kind of go back and talk a little bit about what did you hear in Michelle um, Obama's speech that mm. you find really interesting. There was a joke that was made on the NPR Politics podcast where she said, Michelle Obama made history as the first woman to have her words spoken at both the RNC and the DNC. <laughs> Hashtag well famous. Played. Well played. Like, they were yeah. sitting on that joke for a minute. That's awesome. That was um, good. Yeah. Good job, NPR Politics Yeah, podcast. that was great. That was not an endorsement of the NPR Politics podcast. Just, just showing that I've got good taste. That was free. That's for free, guys. So if you could uh, shoot me some promo, that'd be great. Um, but I, what I heard, and she called out a couple of really interesting things. And one of them was how she really focused it on her children. It was like probably the most human speech out of all of them. She's just like, I knew that my kids were 7 and 10 when we came into the White House. And we have been thinking about, like, how can we help shape their experience so that it's a positive one? Like, she talked about the reality of just, like, you know, I wake up in a house every day that was built by slaves. And I was like, like, and so she is, like, the embodiment of just, like, what we thought, like, was impossible or what may have been thought of have been impossible. And that gives me a lot of hope um, in that regard. She definitely, you know, gave a strong endorsement for Hillary Clinton, which I think is, you know, the part of why, why she's there. I feel like Michelle Obama is a real... I mean, obviously, everyone in, is a real human. I just want to, like... Is the zombie apocalypse coming? Like, I feel like the time is right <laughs> for the zombie apocalypse to just, like... <laughs> oh. Who knows? Oh, man. In, in the case of a zombie apocalypse, it was just like, who do I want as a leader? Right. You want Definitely. Rick Grimes. Uh, yeah. I think I want... Uh, I, want, I actually want the, the directors and writers of The Walking Dead. I feel like they've got yeah, a good yeah. handle. Yeah, he's the he's the lead of The Walking Dead. Oh he, he's, like, he's like the guy who plays the, or I mean, he's the character that is the leader mm-hmm. of the of the whole troop there that's still alive. Mm-hmm. And was, you want that guy? Yeah, I want Rick Grimes. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, a couple of my friends were talking, and I have a couple of my Twitter friends in Canada who were just like, oh yeah, well, if Trump gets elected, just come up here. I'm just like, y'all's economy isn't doing much better, though. Yeah. Now, granted, like, pr- police brutality is not a thing. Like, your prime minister goes out to pride events, which, like, I'm down with. Um, but... Got this whole thing called wildlife yeah. and beautiful yeah. things. Beautiful things, beautiful people. I'd be so, like, Toronto, that. maybe I could make it there. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who met a girl on a mission trip and then uh, literally, like, after they got home, like, moved to Canada to marry her. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? It, it worked for him. So why can't it work for me? 
I need to find a boo on a mission trip. That's what I'm hearing. Wasn't there? There's a what's a dating site? It's like Maple Maple Match Maple Match It's like find a find a Canadian uh, person to date and move to marry. In, Mary, case, Trump in case Trump gets elected, yeah, that's pretty. Be down. I was gonna say I was gonna move to England, but they just had the Brexit, so they have also they have their own damn problems. Right yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. Don't don't move. There. And I would say like, I would say I'd move to Australia, but they don't have marriage equality. So I'm just like, really like, is my best bet staying right here? You just can't go anywhere. I can't like, everywhere sucks right now. <laughs> oh. Everywhere yeah. sucks. Well, that's a that's a real yeah, optimistic that's <laughs> point of view. No, like I like, and, but here's the other flip side of that too. Is like, I think like Liz Gilbert was talking about it on the podcast. Like her aunt got cancer, and she was just like as cheery as ever. And she said, Aunt Dottie, like, what's the secret of like staying so cheery? And she said, You gotta push against the despair. <laughs> and so I don't want like, even though even though everything and everywhere sucks sometimes, like, <laughs> like. They're still good, and if I don't celebrate that, even mm. in the small things like tacos and Lacroix, mm. like preach. There's Lacroix in the world. Yeah, there are tacos. Guac. There's guacamole. <laughs> yeah. Basically, thank God for, you know, the South American and Central American cultures for bringing that to me because I need that. Where would you be without them? Um, I might be thinner, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah. So I have a. You, what you were saying kind of reminded me. I have a weird tension that I'm feeling because I I think the most helpful thing to do, and even I, I think this lines up biblically, I don't have time to explain all of it, but is to focus on the good that actually exists around you. Mm. Because I, I do believe the good is coming from what I believe the kingdom of God, uh, expressing itself and manifesting itself in mm-hmm. your midst and to press into that, to press into the good and to spread that and kind of make that outworking of the work of the mission of God. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that like that's where we should press into. And it honestly, like that is one way that I keep from getting depressed about the state of the world mm-hmm. and all this stuff. There's so many shootings and, and I know there's an, a necessity for me to engage both emotionally and mentally of course. with all of, all of these things and to grapple with those. But I, I'm trying to figure out, and I don't have an answer for this. So this is putting out there something I have attention how do I focus on the good, but understand there's also a role that still exists as a change maker, and as someone mm-hmm. who actually looks at the bad, under, takes some time to understand the bad, and so to work in such a way where we're trying to bring out good in that, and to mm-hmm. change it, and to leverage that bad for something greater than it was ever intended to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know how you focus on the good and do that, you know? Like... They kind of, I have two competing things in me that I haven't figured out how to kind of gel it's together. Yeah. So, anyways. That's going to be it for this week. Friends, do you want to share with how people can connect with you on social media if they want to stalk you? Yeah. Um, preferably don't stalk me, but it, good a, looking, I have a Twitter and a Facebook, Darren McKenna, and it's weirdly spelled. It's D-A-R-I-N. Mm. So we can thank my parents for that. Um McKenna, thanks yeah, Obama. Yeah, hashtag thanks Obama. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. And I don't really have an internet presence, so you can't really find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just you can find it, him through me. That was Darren and Janesh and me talking about some fun things. So before we jump into this next part of the podcast, I wanted to let you know about something cool. 
that I am working on, and it's happening tomorrow when you listen to this. Today is August 1, if you're listening to this on Monday. August 2 is National Give Out Day. And National Give Out Day is the only day dedicated to help fundraise for LGBT nonprofits and organizations. I work for an organization called The Change Project, and we are an LGBTQ advocacy and arts nonprofit that works in the Deep South and Midwest to elevate the voices of queer folk living in those spaces. And uh, we do it through art, we do it through shopprogress.org, which you heard at the beginning on this podcast, and uh, we do it through really fantastic uh, art pieces, some of which are hanging up in national galleries, some of which are going on tour through Europe, so... We're getting uh, the faces and names and stories of queer people out there. So tomorrow, give out day, August 2nd. Uh, our goal is $5,000 in one day. And that's just 1,000 folks giving $5 one time, which isn't much, truthfully. Like, I have more followers on on Twitter. So if each one of those people gave $5, that would be, you know, uh, $10,000 in one day, which would be crazy. Can you think of how much power you have on that? Like, we, like, this year alone, we've already had over 5,000 people give to the Change Project, and their average donation was $14. So I'm just going to ask you to do the same thing. Um, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, go over to facebook.com slash kevin.garcia and click on the link there. Um, it'll take you directly to the event page. It'll show you where and how to give. And I'm asking you to give $5,000. Oh, no, just kidding. I mean, if you have $5,000 lying around and you want to give it to a great nonprofit, that would be fantastic. Um, but I'm asking you, if you've got $14 to give, it would be a really fantastic thing you could do. So that starts tomorrow, August 2nd, National Give Out Day, Give to the Change Project. Um, and thanks so much for supporting Things That Matter, guys. It means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to the people living in those spaces who don't really have a lot of people on their side. It's a way to be awesome. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation I had with someone cool this week. This week, um, I talked to Science Mike, better known as Mike Maharg. Um, I hope that I'm not butchering your real name, Mike, so I apologize if I am. Science Mike is an author, podcaster, speaker who is focused on the science behind spiritual experiences. Mike lost his faith via atheism and as an adult, but rediscovered God in cosmology and neuroscience a journey which led him on his life's mission, helping people reconcile their faith with modern science. Mike is a contributor to the Liturgist podcast with Michael Gunger, which has a litany of amazing guests on theirs, and hopefully I'll get on their level someday. And also a weekly Q&A podcast on faith and science called, you guessed it, Ask Science Mike. Real original. <laughs> Sorry, that was bitchy. Anyways, um, so he's got a new book coming out um, in a couple months. I believe it comes out in September. Um, I'll get you the, uh, the exact date by the end of the podcast, and then I'll let you know. Um, but it's called Finding God in the Waves, and in this conversation we talk about that, as well as fun things like parasocial relationships and Pokemon Go. So here's that conversation with Science Mike. Hope you guys enjoy. I didn't even know that you were going to be there, and then I saw your name on the schedule, because I actually, I got a ticket last minute to go for my friend Kenji, um... I love Kenji. He is oh a my doll, gosh. isn't he? Yes. He challenges he challenges the shit out of me like all the time. Like not the literal shit obviously because I'd be <laughs> a little much. But um yeah. So, I know 
a good I will I'll say a good chunk of your story just because like I've been following your stuff on the liturgist and with Ask Science Mike. But for someone who has like zero context for you, what's like a brief overview of like what God in the waves is gonna show them or tell them about you? Finding God in the Waves is my story of growing up Southern Baptist of all things. And <laughs> I know that, uh, I know adult, that feel. I know that yeah, feel. It's totally totally a strong feel. I grew up Southern Baptist, and then as an adult, lost my faith mm-hmm. because my parents were getting divorced, and I turned to the Bible, which I understood to be God's answer to literally everything, uh, to find the answers to my parents' marital issues, and instead I found irreconcilable differences between mm. uh, the creation account and cosmology. And frankly, a God whose morality frightened and terrified me. Yeah. Uh, and the depiction of violence in the Old Testament, the acceptance of slavery and sexual bondage. And um, I became an atheist and was an atheist for a couple of years until I met God in like face to face on the beach, mm-hmm. um, which is a pretty amazing moment for an atheist to meet a God that you don't believe in <laughs> and uh Sorry, i don't mean to laugh so that's the story and and that story leads to the second half of the book is me trying to figure out what in the hell happened to me uh, as an atheist who doesn't believe in god mm. trying to understand that experience and what we're talking about when we use words like god and spirit and prayer and whether these things have any scientific merit or not and that's what finding god in the waves is about Oof. That's so, there's like so many things like within that like I want to like tackle and unpack because I think like you've described yourself as like definitely someone who's like a bit of a mystic right but then also someone who is like very analytical and critical of all those experiences therein correct I yes I'm an empiricist and a mystic which is an interesting combination yeah um, unpack that a little bit so if if someone doesn't know what an empiricist is empiricists are people who it's a epistemology it's a philosophic position uh, that basically you only put confidence in a belief in proportion to the amount of evidence you have to support that belief mm-hmm. so you believe what you can demonstrate with evidence right uh, it means you don't take things on matters of faith or revelation you need forensic evidence scientific evidence to accept ideas but a mystic is a person <laughs> who has spiritual experiences and says this experience is not compatible with language it's not compatible with logic uh it its value is in the experience itself so a mystic would say that god can't be described god can only be known Mm. um Mm. and that's kind of the tension in my life is the evidence is all, all the things I'll kind of defend and claim as fact are things I can support scientifically, but at the same time, amidst that scientific worldview, I have powerful personal spiritual experiences that I um, don't dissect. I simply accept as gifts. Mm. That's good, and like as someone like I like I feel like I'm, I've kind of grown in like the same direction. I. It's like I, I've always thought about faith almost as like if you, if you're not careful, like your faith can be a house of cards, and it's like 
I've been a hand of this deck. I've built this de this deck of cards into a house, which is like my theologies and my differing perspectives and doctrines, etc. But if I pull this one card out, the whole thing comes falling down. And I think that's like what kind of started happening for me. Is like I pulled one card, and then I was like, oh, well, do I literally believe in you know the creation story as a literal six days or um, talking with someone. I was actually talking with one of my um, my trans friends who like is a very she she's a uh, a staunch atheist um, or angry atheist. I don't really know if there's a word for that, but at least when it comes to like religion, she's very angry at Christians, understandably so. But for someone like yourself who was a st I guess for all intents and purposes, intents and purposes, a staunch atheist, um, you. Were you at, were you attempting to look for God when that when that experience on the beach happened, or that it was just kind of like there was a moment and boom, there God was? Um, well, let's let's clear up a little language for people first. I just because sure. I think this is helpful. Yeah, an atheist is a person who lacks belief in any God or gods. That's it. So an atheist doesn't. But being an atheist doesn't mean you don't like religion. Being an atheist doesn't mean uh, you make any specific claims. It simply means you lack belief in any god or gods. And we would typically denote that kind of atheism with a lowercase a. Mm -hmm. And then there's a stronger form of atheist, atheism where you reject any belief in god or god. So you're, mm -hmm. you're not only saying, I don't have a belief. You're saying it's not a reasonable belief for someone to hold. We'd usually call that strong atheism. But again, that doesn't actually speak to whether religion is a positive or negative force in society. Mm. The kind of atheism advocated by someone like new, uh, Richard Dawkins, often called new atheism, I usually call anti-theism. And anti-theists are people who think religion is much more harmful for human society than it is good. Mm. And a lot of times, anti-theists have really compelling arguments and personal experiences for why they believe that way. In my journey, I was an atheist, absolutely, but I was never an anti-theist. Mm. So even when I didn't believe in God, I thought other people's belief in God could be beneficial for them and could help them be better citizens and could help them live healthier lives. So I didn't have any zeal to convince other people to not believe as I did not believe. Ah, uh, okay. That said, by the time I encountered God through this mystical experience, I had stopped searching. I was completely content as a secular humanist and an atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't need the comfort of a God. I, I'd stopped searching. I'd stopped praying. I'd stopped asking for a sign. I had written God off as... Uh, Kind of like Santa Claus. Santa mm. Claus teaches you a lot about generosity. Santa Claus helps you have fun as a kid, but at some point you outgrow it. And I just thought I had outgrown this this fairy tale of God. Right. Uh, and other people hadn't, and that was okay. Um, but no, when 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 God moved in my life, I, I was done searching for anything spiritual in my life. And then it just sort of happened. And then it just sort of happened. Hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the crazy part. There's so many ways to look at prayer. Uh, 
scientifically speaking, you can make a really great argument against prayer, intercessory prayer, as being a thing at all. Hmm. Right? Um, there's a famous milk jug experiment or milk jug challenge where you're challenged to instead of praying to God, pray to a jug of milk. What? And, <laughs> and here's why it works. What we say in Christian in the Christian tradition usually is God can respond in three ways. Yes, no, and maybe. Right? Okay. Or yes, no, and wait. Yeah, that's the one I always heard. And up. yes, no, and wait describe every possible outcome to every situation. Valid. Right? So yeah, for sure. it, under that paradigm, if you pray to a jug of milk for a promotion at work, the jug of milk will also answer yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> or yes, no, and wait. Um, and... And when you kind of look at studies that have looked at uh, large groups of people with control groups, we haven't seen any statistical, uh, st- statistically significant effect of intercessory prayer on illness, for example, in the few mm-hmm. studies that have been done that have been peer-reviewed and seem to have had a decent methodology and been reasonably free of bias. So that's like this really discouraging picture. And yet we have these experiences you know i had an experience a few years ago in my most like cynical about intercessory prayer i've ever been this was shortly after i came back to faith um and my pastor had back pain and she said she wanted to pray for me and she put her hand on my back Mm -hmm. and she prayed and i felt this like warmth like more than just like the warmth of a person's hand like an intense warmth and the back pain went away and i went okay adrenaline I just had a surge of adrenaline, and uh, humans are comforted by touch, so that probably reduced my pain response temporarily. But in a few hours, that back pain is going to be back. But in fact, I haven't had back pain since that day, Hmm. and that was a few years ago. So what do I do with that experience? Scientifically, that experience proves nothing. It could be just fortuitous timing. There's a lot of things it could be. And yet I've had the experience. And so many people have had this experience. But yeah. we've also had experiences where you prayed for that person mm. who was really ill, who really deserved to get better. Um, in fact, I got one story in my book that 1,500, if I'm remembering correctly, pastors were praying for this child with cancer. And the child with cancer died. And so yeah. what do we do with those stories uh, against the stories of healing? Um, it makes intercessory prayer like a real thorny issue. Mm. Um, so I think too much expectation of intercessory prayer is actually responsible for some people losing their faith because they feel like God left them down or God abandoned them or God ignored them. So I, what I typically do is tell people we approach intercessory prayer as a mystery or maybe a comforting um, metaphor, but we don't hold it as like an immutable theology, and yeah. that a better response or a better posture in prayer is contemplative practice, which is encourages us to sit in the presence of God and to be changed, mm-hmm. and that there's that's um, almost a redemptive perspective on on prayer is to sit and be changed and transformed by your prayer practice in such a way that you move and act in the world differently, that you become the answer to suffering, that you become the answer to the issues you see because your eyes have been opened to human need in a new way through a contemplative practice. Mm. Um, 
Not to say I don't pray in an intercessory way anymore. My dad had a stroke last year, and as I was driving four hours from my hometown to the hospital where my father was, mm-hmm. I prayed the entire way because I had nothing else to do. So I right. think on some level, intercessory prayer can be this act of surrender, this admission of our powerlessness, and in that context, I think it's healthy. Was that like a really rambly answer? I apologize. I feel like that's like <laughs> all of your answers, though. Like, <laughs> Not that it's a bad thing, though. It's just like if you were saying things that were dumb, like that would be another thing. But like everything you're saying, I'm just like... All right, we had eight. We had good eight minutes. I'm gonna hang up the phone now because I'm gonna go <laughs> digest all these things. That's amazing. I saw you were, um, <laughs> and this might be like all a can of worms that I but I, I actually do want to open it up. But uh, I'm not afraid of cans of worms. That's yeah. just not how I'm wired. Yeah, I uh, my granddaddy took me fishing, so neither am I. Um, <laughs> um, but uh. The, the RNC just wrapped up these past couple of days, and um, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I'm just kind of like, like, give me, like, the thoughts of science, Mike, and just of what the hell's, what the hell's going on, Mike? What the hell's going on with politics in America? Uh, pervasive fear. Fear of the other. The end. Done. Fear of the different. On both both sides of the aisle, really. It, mm. It's a more um, potentially civilization-threatening issue on the right. Um, but there's certainly a lot, of, a lot of fear-based messaging on the left as well. Although last night the DNC speeches were, Spot were on. Be- better than I expected them by far, especially Michelle's. Oh, um, gosh, do you mean the love of my life? That was <laughs> like the best speech I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, what's happening is people feel threatened mm-hmm. and they feel forgotten and they feel disempowered. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Republicans built this coalition with the Southern Strategy um, where the implicit promise was racial superiority Mm. um and that's how they kind of peeled away white democrats in the south and it worked but the thing is they promised we're going to do this thing for you at first white people and then working people uh we are going to work in your favor we're going to fight for the middle class we're going to fight for um free market wage growth the creation of wealth that gets distributed and then over time uh the republicans came completely focused on the wealthiest donors and the most powerful business people and just paid lip service to social issues to manipulate voting blocks. Mm. And people have finally figured it out. And so you have a combination of, you know, just genuinely afraid, economically disempowered people and white supremacists. And of course there's overlaps in those groups, but I think it's a mistake to say every person who's voting um, or wants to vote towards Trump right now uh, even understands the implication of racial systems. A lot of them no, of are course. literally just terrified and angry. And some of them don't even support Trump or his policies. They literally just want to throw a grenade into the system and tear the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. So there's almost like this gleeful anarchist bent to certain parts of the Trump constituency hmm. where they don't care who they vote in as long as that person helps tear the system down, a system they feel 
is holding them and their family away from prosperity and away from growth. Yeah. So that's it's a it's a pretty messy thing. The thing that worries me is um, if we're moving into an American populism that evolves into fascism at the same time the European Union is under stress and maybe fracturing. Uh, the globe could be destabilized in a way that hasn't happened in living history. Um, and now our tools of destruction are of a caliber unimaginable even to the people who dropped mm. bombs on Japan. Right. Um, we have conventional weapons that have more energetic magnitude than the nuclear bombs used in World War II to say nothing of our nuclear arsenal. This is a bad time for humanity to say us against them right Man, another rambling answer holy cow i gotta no. work on being concise oh please don't <laughs> like i'm the same way though is like somebody will ask me a question and i will they'll be like kevin what do you think about x and i will tell you a story to illustrate how i came to it <laughs> that spans back at least five years is the present what's happening and where I think it's leading me and how it applies to my daily life. So, like, that's... that's No, never apologize for rambling. Again, if it were dumb, I would interrupt you and you'd keep going. I, but, I love it. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not afraid to tell you you're dumb science, Mike. I'll tell you. <laughs> not that I think that. Amazing. I think it's because you and I, like, we've crushed beers together now at this point. So, at this point, I just see you as, like, just a normal dude. That's why I try to crush beers as often as possible. <laughs> I am actually a normal dude. What a concept. <laughs> Parasocial. Um, that Because you recently, I think like either, you did a Twitter thing about the whole Kim Kardashian Taylor thing that happened. Yes. And I was yes. just like, that's why people are so obsessed. For people who don't follow you on Twitter, can you explain parasocial interactions and like why people are so like when things happen to celebrities why people have like these like really huge emotional reactions to something that has literally no bearing on their life whatsoever so so human brains didn't evolve with media so our brains don't have like a way of categorizing faces we see on magazine covers and movie screens and televisions is different from people we encounter in real life because that's not a thing that's something we invented really recently and evolution has no ability to keep pace with the rate things are happening in human society right now hmm. so our brains treat figures we see in media as real people and that's called a parasocial relationship um, because our brain is treating a relationship we don't have as if it's a real relationship and our brains look at celebrities and they give all the signals of success. They're photoshopped, they're made up, they're buff, they have special lighting, they're always seen in really controlled circumstances. When they're seen in person, they're up on a stage on a platform which automatically ascribes authority. And mm -hmm. all these signals say this person is important. And here you have humanity, which is this social species, which is terrified of being ostracized in the tribe. And one strategy humans make to remain safe in a tribe is to associate with a more successful part of the tribe and basically become part of their subgroup or their sub-tribe. So when something like Taylor Swift and Kanye happens, people who have some degree of social worth invested in a parasocial relationship with Taylor Swift feel 
threatened, as do people who have the same thing with Kanye West. And they become personally, emotionally invested in a conflict between two people they have never met and probably never will meet because it's utilizing evolutionary triggers in the human brain related to socialization. And we are the most social primate on the planet. Just what's on your, what do you, like, what's your latest musical obsession? Not like a musical in the sense of like Broadway, but just like, what are you listening to right now? Uh, well, the thing I'm listening to the most is literally a musical obsession. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton. Yes! Oh, ten man. My, I fought it so long. My <laughs> wife was like, you got to listen to this. I'm like, I don't do musicals. She's like, but it's like hip-hop. I was like, I don't care. Time. I'm not doing it. And then I would listen, and like, I'd be like, this is amazing. And then they'd break into like a chorus, and it was like super Broadway, and I just couldn't take it because <laughs> it's like my 90s like no cynic, right, that yeah, won't die. Of course. And then like I, I couldn't resist it because some, some of the beats and the rhymes were just so intense. So, so good. And then I finally listen to the whole thing, and the second half is really where Hamilton, like, where the power of that story is. And it just destroyed me. And I was like, holy cow, the hype is justified. The hype is justified. Uh, Emmanuel Miranda is like a once-in-a-generation brilliance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now I've just, like, been listening to it over and 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 over the other one I've been digging lately is this like pop group from Iceland called Aurora. Oh, I know them. I know uh, not personally, but I know that group. Yeah, and I really like their new record, "All My Demons Greeting Me as a Friend." Hmm. Um, I've been digging that one a lot. Cool. Other question, um, very serious. Are you playing Pokemon Go? If so, have you caught anything good recently? Uh, I do. I, I dabble. I dabble in Pokemon Go, so I'm only level seven. Oh, I'm doing better than you. This just feels uh, um, mildly gratifying. Yeah, I don't have a. I, it's yeah. I mean, like it's for like. I mean, it's a. T- it's you have to com- like commit time to it. That's the only thing. Like, yes. When it was like on my Game Boy, and I could just like sit there and do whatever with it, and I didn't have to go somewhere to actually advance my cause. Like, that was one thing, but now, like, I actually have to go outside, and it is humid as hell in Atlanta. I can't. And it wrecks your battery, so if I do it when I'm traveling... Oh, God, it's Like, gone. I had to ask them to print a boarding pass, because I'd killed my phone oh. playing Pokemon in the Atlanta airport. And so I was oh, like, well, no. so I can't do this. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm Team Mystic, and... Yes, uh, of course you are. <laughs> totally... All my and, friends are Team Mystic. Like, that I don't know. I seem thing. to get Pidgey over and over and over and over and over. Like, I'm real tired of Pidgey. Yeah. I already evolved my like, to egg it. thing? Yeah, you got to put it in the incubator, and then once you walk... No, no, it was like a Pokemon made of eggs. Oh, Execute. Execute, which I thought was, like, so hilarious and punny that I think it's my favorite Pokemon. <laughs> That's your favorite Pokemon? Because it's execute. It's a dad joke as a Pokemon. <laughs> well, do you know what? It, do you know what it evolves into though? Oh, it's it evolves into this giant thing that looks like a pineapple tree, and it's called Executor. 
or executor. Oh, yeah. I've seen one of those. I didn't know that was related to my little eggs, though. I think I'd rather have the eggs. That was a part of my conversation with Science Mike. If you like that, you can find him online at AskScienceMike.com. You can find him on all the internets at Mike Maharg, which is just M-C-H-Argue. You can also find out more about Finding God in the Waves at FindingGodInTheWaves.com, as well as his book tour and podcast tour and all that stuff. It's all on AskScienceMike.com. Yeah, that was so much fun. And honestly, there's so much more to come. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is just going to be the floor of where we're starting. Um, and you know what I think is really cool about all this is that this isn't just me doing this. I feel like this is something that we're all kind of doing together. Anyways, I'm excited. Um, and I also want to let you know and invite you to become a part of the process of making this. So if you like this podcast or any of the other kind of content I create, like my blogs at thekevingarcia.com or the ebooks that I've put out in the past, if you want to, you can help support its creation. If you go right now to thekevingarcia.com slash support, you can become a patron of these podcasts, as well as all the other things I'm working on through Patreon. Patreon is a really simple way for you to give monthly and uh, what's really cool is that it's not just you giving me money to create cool things, but you're also going to get some sweet perks out of it. Um, I've got exclusive email newsletters, Google Hangouts, webinars, t-shirts, and more. Um, again, you can find all that information at thekevingarcia.com support. And uh, that's that. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate it on iTunes. Uh, because it seriously helps with ratings and visibility and making this an actual legit thing when I want to be legit and you can say I was listening to A Tiny Revolution before it was cool. Guys, that's episode one of A Tiny Revolution. Hope you loved it and I hope you know that you're loved. My name is Kevin Garcia and I will talk to you next week. Bye now. A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, a collective of creatives sounding off on things that matter. For more information on the Bedlam Podcast Network or to advertise with us, go to bedlampodcasts.com. That's bedlam, B-E-D-L-A-M, podcasts as in multiple podcasts.com. That was way too much, but uh, you got the point, right? This episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by shopprogress.org. Designed with queer people in mind, Shop Progress creates innovative, fresh fashion that intentionally seeks to encompass the vast array of identities within the LGBTQ community so that you can wear your story on your sleeves. Shop today at shopprogress.org and use the offer code REV10, that's REV10, to get 10% off your first order. Shop Progress. Wear your story on your sleeves. That's why I try to crush beers as often as possible. Since I am actually a normal dude. <laughs>